we're talking about stewardship and uh, and one of the parables that talks about the idea of uh, they didn't want the Lord to reign over them. We don't want the Lord to tell us what to do. You know, we don't realize that that's really a big part of our failure as Christians is we just don't want the Lord to have rule over our lives. We want to do our thing. Well, we, we, want, we even want to do some of the things the Lord wants to do, but we want to do it our way. And when you live by faith, it does require you just to completely put your trust, asking the Lord for uh, what is necessary, what is needed. Uh, uh, what he wants is basically that idea of surrender. You don't have to do that every day, you know, and we've been, I encourage you <coughs> to recognize that if, and of course, what our focus down there in our class downstairs is on is eventually we're going to get to this idea and, um, you know, mammon. Uh, and if you don't know how to handle that, then God will not give you true riches, as the Bible speaks of. And so um, if you haven't figured that out, we in America and even in the Christian church is doing a terrible job with mammon or money riches, the stewardship, uh, I really want to help uh, our young people to have a real, I would like to see some real frugality in their lives. I mean, they would just give really a lot of thought before they ever spend a dime, you candy or pop or just anything, and say to yourself, is this really going to get the best bang for my spiritual buck if I if I buy this or do this, and and it, and to live by faith, I mean, you think about it. Is sometimes we just have to say, hey, you know, uh, I I was visiting my mom. I think I mentioned last week, and of course, as I, I I was going over with her, and of course, she's lost as far as I understand. Though she gives very religious, goes to church. <clears throat> uh, she was born in 1925. Uh, so that made her about four years old when the, when the stock market crashed. Uh, so from 1929 until she was married was basically that's all she knew was that we didn't come out of the depression. I don't think until about 1939. Uh, if I'm, I might have some of my numbers a little off, but uh, so that she that's all she knew. She's a and though she's lost, though she understands the values of things. Um, I said this last week, I think, but it just reminds you, I, she's, she still saves uh, Ziploc bags. She'll wash out a Ziploc bag, hang it over the top of uh, a little spray thing on the sink for it to dry out or put it on a clothespin uh, and, uh, and let those dry out because that you can use those over. And that penny saved to her is a penny earned, as Ben Franklin uh, our founding, one of our founding fathers said, and it's it really goes. And you know, you think about it. We have a government that is. What somebody told me the other day, how many trillion dollars our government is in debt? I mean, and actually, that's us. And we have, I think, last I knew, a state of Illinois was a hundred billion, near a hundred billion dollars in debt, and people don't want to cut back. They want all the services and all the things, and yet we're going deeper and deeper in debt. I think it was every every citizen in the state of Illinois 
owes uh, Illinois like three, that's woman, man, woman, and child owes like $3,000 uh, or, or more. I, I, it was just, a, I, the numbers just are uh, of a magnitude that's just unbelievable. And yet uh, the idea that the Christian is to live differently. And the Christian is to behave differently. And, and I want to, if you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians, uh, Paul is mentioning uh, this to the church of Philippi. What is historically known? Who can help me in their Bible understanding? What is known about Philippi uh, in, the, in the book of Acts? What is kind of unique about that? Anybody remember? Philippi. Anybody know? Very much. About the Philippian jailer. And what else do we know about it? Who was first saved in near Philippi? Remember Paul was looking and trying to figure out where to go and God wouldn't let him go into Asia. And so he said, finally he had a dream one night and what happened? Yeah, there was a there was a man basically spoke to him and said, "Come on over here, Macedonia." And of course, Philippi was one of the first places they ended up, and over there, and actually, it's in Macedonia, above Asia is here, and Macedonia is above it. And so it was a unique time. And so this letter is written to the the church there in Macedonia, and. Uh, and of course, at this point, it's a it's a the letter to the um, the church to Philippi is is for the most part is hasn't got any corrections in it except for the one time where he talks about uh, uh, their messenger almost died giving service for their lack of service toward him. That's the only place I could find where there's much condemnation in the letter. But I want to look at it this morning for the idea that we've been talking about a, this idea of abiding. And the idea of abiding is more than just the idea of uh, Christ abiding uh, with you. is that he abides with you because he loves you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You know, we think about uh, us people, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. You know, and you know you're gonna tell death do your part, and that idea that if you you love that person that you've been married to, you should be growing, and that's what I want you to understand this morning when we talk about a relationship to Christ. And as Paul was saying, listen, now you're saved, and God loved you. You recognize your love. Now I want you to grow in that love. I want you to grow in that understanding. A lot of people have got this idea that, uh, that, that somehow when you get married, <clears throat> the first few years are the, the real, uh, what they call the honeymoon of your, of your marriage. Well, be honest with you, is that really that's, that's kind of uh, immature love at the beginning. It should be growing in love. And uh, you think about it, when uh, you like love someone or you begin to love someone, some of the attributes that you think are very uh, commendable about an individual. You like those things that you see and what you've seen, but you really haven't really lived with that individual, and now you haven't really grown to appreciate those things to the degree that uh, 
You should, and that's the same thing with the Lord. We, we get saved, and uh, we don't really understand how much how good God is, and how how much uh, how much He's done for us, and how much He wants to do. And and so Paul is writing the Philippians here to kind of to get them stirred up in this idea of growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. So we're going to look down through some verses in the first chapter of this. Um, that love that's abiding uh, actually in this church. And I pray that you would be able to discover not only that you could see it in this church of Philippi, uh, this abiding love, but you could see it in your own church. And begin to say, well, now listen, I uh, one of the greatest things about uh, uh, knowing the Lord is really appreciating His church. And sometimes we... Oh, we, we can't see all the grace and all the goodness that God provides uh, in his church. So I want you to look as we, at this together. We're going to read some verses together, starting in chapter number 1 and verse number 1. And if you'll stand and we'll read these verses together. The Bible says in Paul <clears throat> and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making a request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even it is meet for me to think of you all because I have you in my heart insomuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Ye are partakers of my grace." For God is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That ye may approve the things that are excellent. That ye may be sincere without offense until the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ of envy, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. One preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. I therein do rejoice, yea, and I will rejoice." 
For I know that this shall return to my salvation through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we can understand something of you through the heart and passion of the Apostle Paul. Father, that he was fulfilling your will, doing your wishes with this local assembly. And Father, that he was trying to help them to understand some very important dynamics of this relationship he has with the church. I pray that, Father, you'd give us that understanding and appreciation, and, Father, that we would have a greater uh, appreciation for your love and your abiding with us in this assembly. We ask for your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. The thing that that we have, and I think is this, when we look at this idea of we are to abide in him, the term also says that he abides in us. And the relationship that Jesus had with the Father in the sense that he says that's the same relationship that I want to have with you. The abiding love for the church is a great important asset that we have. And the only way that we can really utilize that asset is to understand it to the degree that will be helpful for us. If you look in chapter number one, I want you to see, first of all, it was a passionate love. We know that from the scriptures that he loved us in while we were yet sinners. We love him because he first loved us. But we can hear those words and we can see those words, but really we can be kind of far from those words. We look at the relationship that Paul had with this church and we can see that not just was a Paul's relationship, but it says it was a relationship of the Lord Jesus himself. If you'll see in verse 8, he says, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all, and the Bible says, in the bowels of Jesus Christ. He says, My love for you was the love that God has for you. Let's look at some of those things. We know that it says in verse number 3, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. First of all, there's this great sense of appreciation. One of the things that we need to remind ourselves on a, on a I think, a, a not just a, a devotional time in the morning, but in and in in throughout the day is, is this appreciation for God's care for us. He cares for us in thick and thin. He doesn't just care for us when we do right. He cares for us when we do wrong. He cares for us when we don't have faith. He cares for us when we do have faith. He cares for us when we are weak. He cares for us when we're strong. He cares for us when we're discouraged. He 
cares for us when we're excited. We care for us when we're worried. We care for us when we're concerned about this or this. Is that we have to have this great sense of appreciation of how much he really does care for us. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Can you imagine that God looks at Garfield Ridge Baptist Church and and that I believe with all my heart he has a sense of every remembrance he has of it. I pray they understand how much I love them. I pray that they understand how much I want to care for them and how much I want to bless them and how much I I want to use them. I pray they understand how every remembrance that God has of us is, is a cherished memory. I believe that he remembers every person that ever came to this church. I, bet he, I believe that he remembers every good effort and every good will that was ever done. I bet he remembers everything that was challenging and difficult. And every memory, even though made in our eyes, may be insignificant. In God's eyes, it was good. mentions here that he says always in every prayer of mine for you making requests with joy you want to you think about the effort that we're putting in to pray for one another to pray for other individuals that we have on our prayer list God has a great desire to meet with us. Not only that we should meet with him, but he wants to meet with us. Isn't that great? You think about people that you meet along the way and and uh, people that you haven't seen in a long time and and how the conversation may go and you say, "Wow, I just haven't seen you." And you want to and you want to find out the all the nitty-gritties of what their life is about and what it's what they've been doing. Because why? You haven't seen him for long and he cares for you. Listen, God desires to hear from you and I. Did you realize that? God desires to hear our prayers. God desires to know more of us intimately. How many of you think God wants to know your weaknesses? Hmm? How many of you feel comfortable sharing with the Lord? Lord, I want you to know where I feel really feel weak at. We have a sense of well-being when we take to God our most intimate issues in our life. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You say, well, why do you have that sense of comfort, that sense of, of uh, God's presence? Because he wants to know about these things. He wants to be involved in your life. He wants to understand what makes you tick. He wants to be an encouragement to you. The worst thing that we can do as a church or as an individual is not share those things with the Lord. You realize how you when you get close to somebody, I mean, you know what I'm talking about, you get close to somebody, you share some intimate things about your life, right? You share some personal things about your life. What makes you tick? What makes uh, what discourages you? What lifts you up? What takes you down? You share your life with people. And that makes you a little closer to that individual because they know a little bit more about you. 
And if they're a loving friend and they're a loving companion, then they want to help you with those things that you shared them about. You say, I'm not going to go out and share all these things with all the people that know this individual. I'm only going to share the things I know about this individual with the Lord. And I'm going to share and I'm going to say, Lord, is there something I can do? Is there some way that I can help? Is there some way that I can encourage? Listen, God has a great sense of ability, not only that we should desire to pray, but we understand he wants us to pray. You look in verse 5 and 6, he says, he says, for making requests with joy, in verse 4, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul says, listen, I've enjoyed the time that we've had together in this endeavor to get the gospel out and to, and, to, and to be a part of the gospel of the message itself. You think with me in the, in the sense that it's not just the apostle Paul, but listen, he says, he says, I've longed for you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. That means he has a great hope of all things. The same thing you and I hope for. Guess what? If they're the things of God, guess who else hopes for those things? The Lord Jesus. As, as your pastor, I, I don't know whether my, your kids understand just how much I long to see them be successful. I, 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 sometimes I try to, I, is there some way that I can uh, uh, passionately uh, uh, show them how much I really want them not to make the same mistakes in their life I made in mine? I don't want them to make the same mistakes in, in raising their children and having a, a marriage that I've had. I want them to go beyond and be more successful than I have been. You know, we have that, I read it on one of the hearts down there, but it's in 1 Corinthians 13. Love, or charity, what? Hopeth all things. Think about that. Sometimes we think like we're all alone in wanting what's best for our home, wanting what's best for our church, wanting what's best uh, for a, a relationship that you may have. God wants that more as much as you do. He wants to see you excel in those. He hopes all things. We say, Pastor, I sure hope we have a, a good year of evangelism this year. I hope that we're able to have a good VBS this year and maybe some successful backyard Bible clubs and maybe some good uh, successful uh, uh, door knocking and, and maybe those friends and families, uh, they'll come out. Uh, I hope we have. Listen, God hopes all things the same way you do. He abides with us, not just in a, well, I hope it works out for you. Listen, he is impassioned. You, the heart that you have for those things, who gave, those, who gave that to you? Right? I mean, you want to see your kids go on and love God and serve God. You want to see them have a good home and you want to see them love the Lord and serve the Lord. Well, guess who put that in your heart? And so you're never alone when it comes to understanding God's love for his church and for his people and for the goals that he has for you. So not only is there this passionate love, it's a purposeful love. 
It's not just a passion. It's not just something all exciting about it. It has some passion. You look at verse number 7. Even it is meet for me to think of you all because I have you in my heart insomuch as both in my bonds and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. Ye are my partakers of my grace, the Bible says. God gives us purposeful love. And you know, in other words... Got something worth living for. I I I don't know about you. You see these people that take their life, or you hear about them, right? And can you imagine ever getting in a in a place in your life where you don't want to live anymore? You just I I really don't have nothing to live for. And what I what I see that that is a part of my life is I don't see it's worth it. See, God puts in the Christian church. And in the Christian, a purpose for living. I mean, you you just enjoy you just enjoy the life that God has given you. Is something worth living for? You think about it, and, and, and not only living for, as He says here, He says it's worth dying for. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Uh, uh, you know, greater love has no man this than a, than a man lay down his life for his friends. It, I, I, I'd like to think that you and I would grow in that grace that we have and that same kind of love that God has for us, that we'd have that same kind of understanding and love for other people that we'd want to... I'd be willing to give my life for somebody. No, There'd be no greater love than I could give than to lay down my life. Paul said, he says, I w- I'm willing to expend my life for you. Do you know somebody in your, in your little circle of influence that say, you know, I'm willing to, I'm willing to spend and enter the, the energy I have, the time that I have, uh, 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 no matter what it is, I'm willing to devote that to you. I mean, you know that there was somebody like that in your life. Isn't that special? That's of God. That's of God. Somebody that God just purposely gives you. Listen, every every Christian boy and girl in this church says God gave you a mom and a dad and they're expending their life for you. Isn't that wonderful? A parent. That's a, that's a perfect picture in my mind. There's not a parent. Most parents would give their life for their children. If you're saying, well, well if, if it's between me and my son or between me and my daughter and, and they need a kidney or they need an organ transplant and, I, I, and if they get it, they might live. Most parents would say, listen, I've only got enough few years left and I, I, my life is for them. You know, that's what Paul was basically communicating. Listen, a purposeful life is not only a life worth living for, it's worth what? Dying for. Not taking your life, giving your life. Giving your life. Listen, that's, when you get to the place you love the Lord Jesus to the degree you say, I'm willing to lay down my life for his purpose. If that purpose is for my children, praise God. If that purpose is for my children, praise God. If that person is for my spouse, praise God. But I'm willing to do that. Paul said to this Philippians, I'm willing to do that for you. And he did. 
He says you're in the defense, and he mentions here, this is called one of the prison epistles because Paul was in prison at this time. He wasn't in prison because he was he did it was a wrongdoer. He was in prison because he was preaching the gospel. It's a purpose. It means it's got of a heavenly value in verse number eight. In verse number nine, it takes something of a divine vision to see that. And notice what he says. And this I pray. He says, I'm, I'm talking to you, Philippians. I, I, I have this abiding love for you and the church, that love that came from the Lord Jesus himself. I have, it's in the bowels. I, I long after you all in the bowels of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may what? Abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. He says, you're not, you're not there yet. You can get there. I want you to be there. You think about what that knowledge is. And see, that you ever heard the expression that talks about people lack or they don't even have natural affection? You've seen that? Remember that in the Bible? Natural affection is what? Well, you know, like, like, a, like a mother, uh, 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 a dog would have for her pups, right? She just has, I can remember, uh, I, I, we raised hogs on the farm, and I can, uh, uh, mothers, uh, uh, forgive me uh, for, don't get lost in my interpretations here, Oscar. That's the only thing I know. I, we, had, we had, used to have 16 sows, anywhere from 14 to 20, but most of the time it was around 16 sows that we would, uh, uh, that they would give piglets every year. And I can remember going out to those pens. We all had them pinned up in about eight by, by ten pens, and they had a little, little hog house beside them. And I can remember going out, they'd have those pigs. And one of those pigs, if you start squealing, and boy, if you were near that pen, you better be heading out. Because they were going to protect the... They'd sit on their own, and they'd think you did it. They start squealing, and hey, I didn't do nothing. You'd be bailing out of the a hog pen because that mother sow was coming after you. Now, that's a natural affection. But you know, when you get saved, you get born again, you get Jesus living and abiding in you, you get the Word of God, you start praying and seeking God's face, and you start to get this purposeful life, you come away with a heavenly purpose or a divine vision for yourself. I was trying my best downstairs this morning to give these kids a divine vision for themselves. Right now they don't have a family, right now except for their mom and dad, and I'm not distracting from that, but they have... Uh, they have a, their whole life in front of them. They really do. And, and, I, and, 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 and I know God wants to give them a vision, a knowledge for what they can be. I mean, I mean, just think about it. I said, God has provided for you a mom and a dad that's providing you a, a Christian education. He's provided for you a church uh, uh, with a pastor that cares for you. I told him, I said, listen, I could be upstairs uh, working with the adults, but God says, go downstairs. Help those young people to get a vision for their life. Listen, what I'm trying to give you isn't me. Are you listening, young people? You listen, Lewis, Alex? Are you listening? 
Are you listening? God has put something in my heart. He says, I want you to succeed. I want to bless your life. I want to bless your home. I want to bless your church. That's a divine vision. Boy, if you get it. He says that he may abound, <clears throat> that your love may abound more in knowledge. And the second thing there is judgment. See, you know what the Bible says could possibly be. As we said in 1 Peter, he's given unto us great and precious promises that you may be partakers of what? A divine nature. And you get a vision for that and got that knowledge up there. And then God says, I'm not only going to give you the ability to know what's right and what's good and what's possible. I'm going to give you the ability to make the judgments to get there. Isn't that good? Now you're going to get to that, that dividing line, that temptation line where I can either follow what the world's doing, I can follow what my friends are doing, I can follow what's on the TV or on the internet, or I can follow what the uh, neighbor's doing, or I can follow what God wants me to do. Yeah, God's judgment and God's mind when it comes to, I, I went through this whole thing with betrothal and marriage, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, if they could just get God's mind on that. What a difference. How many would say it make a difference in your life? It just changed everything. All because, how many of you have ever made, you know you just made a wrong decision? Whoops. And, and you have to live with that one. Whoops. And God says, listen, I want you to grow up and I'm going to show you how I can love you and give you knowledge, and I'm going to give you knowledge, and I'm going to give you judgment. It's going to be for yourself, for your family, for your church, and listen, it'll be for your country, for your world. We're going through all kinds of acrobats to get, we have this being a polling place, and my wife is just ready to throw up her hands, and I don't blame her. They give her windows of time where they're going to bring this thing, this uh, big blue box that they haul in here, and we, we put it in the church, and, and then they come back, and they're supposed to take it away, and now they, they say we're going to have another day, full day, full eight hours, or they're going to have to have the church open, and I'm thinking, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know what, is this really worth it? Is it I mean, really, is that really worth it? But you know what, I, I, in my mind, I'm, I want my... I want the church, I want the young people to understand we have a patriotic responsibility. Do you realize that? People want, how many would say, I'd like my, my country to be a little bit more better? Man, it'd be nice if we, our legislators get together. I'd be nice if our president was together. Guess who makes that happen? Not some kind of fairy, a political fairy is going to come down and, 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 and swish around in your politics. It's going to be the people that are here, young people. Got their heads on straight. And I said, well, I guess even though we've got to jump through all these hoops to make this the polling place, little small thing we can do, it says this, it's important. It's important. Setting priorities. That's what judgments are. There's all kinds of things we can do. You realize that? I mean, 
Think of all the things you could do with your life. It's so numerous you can you could you could spend all day just saying I could do this, I could do that. I, I mean, you could just go on and on. And we all have you know, you have grandma or aunt and uncle always coming. What do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, you ever had that happen to you? What do you want to be when you grow up? Huh? I want to be a farmer. That didn't go over very good. Certainly didn't think I was going to be a preacher. That was the last thing from my mind. But the thing of it is, is, is God wants you to set some priorities. How many of you know, and I said this downstairs to them this morning, uh, turning 63, kind of just turned on some lights for me. I began to say, you know what? There is an end in sight. <laughs> I, you know, you're, up until that, you, you just think life is just going to go on and on and on. You know, you, then years and years and years and years. And I, and boy, all of a sudden I'm saying, I'm looking at, I can kind of see the end in sight. That's why I think the Bible says that we're to number our days. Because you've got a certain amount of time. You have a certain amount of resources. You have a certain amount of, of all these things. And you're going to either do right with those things or you're going to waste them. Do you know that? You're either going to make something out of that or you're just going to waste it. And that's all dependent, as he says here in verse number 9, in all knowledge and in all. Come on, we take that little three-letter word out of there, but he said all, what? All is really all, right? All judgment. Every decision you make is of vital importance. And Paul, he says, I long for you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ that you have, that you may abound more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Every decision, God would be a part of that. Again, what does that mean? That's a very purposeful love. God, you think about it, God wants to be involved in every thought. Wow! How many thoughts did you have this morning? You say, I don't think God wants to be involved in that. He wants to be involved in every thought. You say, why? Because He what? Loves you. How many of you want to be involved in your in your every thought of your spouse? I don't know. No, I can't hardly control the ones I've got. God says I'm going to be involved in every thought, every judgment you make, every decision you make, because He says I what I love you. That's abiding love. I don't, you know, how many think God says, "Oh, I want you to make a few bad thoughts." I don't care if you make a few wrong decisions. You think God's like that? You think the Lord Jesus just says, it doesn't really matter to me what you do? Or does he want, is he concerned about every decision that you and I make? <clears throat> you say, what does it do? It not only sets our priorities for time that is limited, it sets our priorities for resources that are limited. But look in verse number 11. Verse number 10 and 11, that you may approve the things that are what? What's that, what's that word? Excellent. Wow! That you may approve. He says, I want to be so involved in your life that you may have, you say, there's all these decisions and you say, I don't know. God says, this is the excellent one. Really? This is the good one. 
Oh, what about the, no, this is the good one. I'm going to help you with the good one. Wouldn't you like to have been God be with you so that every decision you make is a good one? I would. Oh, man, if I was going to go back, I would go back and say, God, let's wash out all those nine. Let me redo them again. Because I want them to be what? Excellent. That you may be sincere without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. I like that. But look at verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. And look at that. To the praise and glory. I don't know about you, but I can remember people giving me attaboys. How many know what an attaboy is? How many like attaboys? How many like people say, man, you really did a good job. I really appreciate what you did, man. I, you know, I, I don't want to do without you. I mean, you think your wife likes that? Huh? I mean, you think your husband likes that? Oh, yeah. Man, the well, husband, he gets, <laughs> he gets a bad boy from his wife. He really thinks he's a big, big guy, right? Boy, you think your wife doesn't work a little harder around the house when she gets a few attaboys? You know what? God's in the business of giving a few attaboys. Because when he gives a few attaboys to, for something you do right, it brings the right glory and honor to who? The Lord Jesus Christ. And boy, when you can shine on the behalf of your Lord, listen. There's no greater joy that you'll have in knowing that you brought honor and glory to your Heavenly Father. Are you listening? You say, well, do, is, I'm, I, is, I'm trying to get you to understand we have something very valuable right here in this assembly. And that's the presence of God. It says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm always going to be abiding with you. I don't have time to develop this last one. Maybe I'll finish it up tonight. But I want to ask you today, have you really exercised the opportunity that God has given you? Paul spoke this to the Philippian church and says, listen, you're saved now. You're born again now. But he says, you know what? You just touched the top of the surface of what God wants to do and can do and is willing to do and he abides with you. He's not going anywhere. Have you exercised, listen to me on this, have you exercised the faith to say, God, if you want this grand experience in my life, then I am going to do everything I can to allow you to happen to work in my life. Now listen to me, kids, young people. Come on, wave your hand at me. You're in my class, wave your hand at me. Come on, I want to see you out there. I want you to listen to what I'm saying. You don't waste what God has given you. God has given you a mom and a dad and a church and God has given you the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and you have this opportunity knocking on your door. Don't waste it. And you parents, and you folks, besides, listen to me. Oh, we're just a few in number. Oh, we've been around since 1959. 
I don't know that anything's really going to change. Is that God's thinking? Or is that yours? Is God done with our church? How do you think God's done with us, church? Is that right? If you're thinking God is done with this church, then you don't know your Bible. You just don't know your Bible. Paul looked at this church and said, God is not a long way from being done. He's only done when you're done. And when you start believing what God wants to do and can do and will do, and you're going to grow in this great understanding of this passion and love and this purposeful life that he's given. Basically, what's it just saying is the things that we've been exercising, memorizing the scripture, getting busy with that. We're going to have ministries uh, that are available to work in and we'll be a part of. And I'm going to tell you, it's not only something that's worth going to be something worth living for it's going to be something worth what dying for something worth dying I wish I could go back in another I think it's in another chapter yeah if you turn over to chapter 2 I want you to see Paul as he speaks to the church here he says for it is verse 13 I remember reading this verse when I was coming to Chicago actually this is the verse that got me to Chicago let's start back in verse number 12 he says wherefore my beloved as ye have always not obeyed not always in my presence only but now much more in our absence work out your own salvation with what? fear and trembling it means God has a plan it's your job to find out what it is for it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's God that works in you to accomplish that. If you don't have his mind, his heart, his spirit, it's not God's fault. He works in you to do that. Do all things without murmuring, without disputing, that you may be blameless, harmless, sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding forth the word of light, that you may rejoice in the day of Christ, that ye that I have not run in vain, neither what? Labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. So I'm excited to do it. And that's where your pastor is. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me, but I trust in the Lord to send unto you Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know of your state. Look what it says in verse 20. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. State. See, Paul said Timothy loved the Philippians just like Jesus. So I don't have anybody else that cares for you like him. He's passionate, he's purposeful, and he's sacrificial. That's the last point I was going to give you this morning. I'm asking you this morning, <clears throat> do you want to see, experience, and to be a part of what God wants to do? The, the point being is that he hasn't moved a moment from this church. He's not moved a minute from this church. 
You just got to be able to see it and appreciate it. Everybody understand? Let's stand as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you. I ask, first of all, Lord, that you'd forgive us if we've lost our hope or our vision. If somehow we've slowed down or got sidetracked because of events